Welcome to the latest episode of Plugged In, a post-media podcast taking you down Canada's electric vehicle highway. I'm your host, Andrew McCready. Just a note about today's episode. My guest, Steve Milishev's company, Motorino, is a sponsor of Plugged In. Steve is a guy who loves getting the word out about EVs. That's why he jumped at the chance to help us out. Motorino is a Vancouver-based electric bicycle, scooter, and small motorcycle retailer that is a pioneer in two-wheeled electric mobility in Canada. Steve is a mechanical environmental engineer by trade and in the late 90s was working in China on a pilot project concerning remediation of mining drainages that contained heavy metals. It was there that he discovered electric bikes and sensing, correctly as it turned out, that this form of personal mobility had a bright future in urban centers in North America and Europe. And so he established Motorino in 2003. To say Steve is a pioneer in this segment is a bit of an understatement, and I know you'll enjoy his insights into the past, present, and future of this growing form of electrified travel. But before we get to the interview, let's talk charging infrastructure. The majority of surveys citing the top three concerns of prospective EV buyers, in no particular order, are affordability, full charge range, and charging infrastructure. I get those first two, but the infrastructure one sort of puzzles me, particularly now that new EVs have full charge ranges between 300 and 400 kilometers. Even if you are commuting 100 kilometers each way to work, there is absolutely no reason to require a charger at or near work. Just use your EV as you would a gas-powered car. Only plug it in at night when you get home, and by the morning you'll have a full battery. Think of it this way. If you have a half tank of gas in your car when you leave for work in the morning, Do you even think about stopping for gas during your commute? Same is true for these new EVs. The idea that we need more urban charging stations, in my opinion, is a bit of a red herring. On the other hand, when it comes to going on a road trip, charging infrastructure is essential, and this is where improvements need to be made. And they are being made. You most likely have seen the Petro-Canada ad campaign surrounding their cross-country charging network they are building. Interestingly enough, a Saskatchewan company called Sun Country built up just such a network a few years ago. A number of other companies, including Electrify Canada, Ford and VW, are also establishing charging networks along the country's highway arteries. At the recent launch of the 2020 Bolt, I experienced the challenges of long-distance travel in an EV. The drive route was from Tacoma, Washington to Portland, Oregon, with some detours off the most direct route. The driving distance was about 350 kilometers in total, The range of the Bolt is 417 kilometers, so you could do this without charging. However, GM set up a charging stop about 50 kilometers from Portland so we could see how quickly a DC fast charger works on the 2020 Bolt. The charging point at a mall had four quick chargers. Problem was, one wasn't working, and when we arrived, a VW e-Golf was charging in one of the stalls. There were about eight volts in our party, so needless to say, it wasn't a quick charge and go. We ended up waiting about an hour to get our charge, which added some 100 kilometers to our range and took only 15 minutes or so of charging. With the ever-increasing number of EVs on the road, this real-world experience highlighted the need for more DC fast chargers on our highway networks. In the city, not so much. On the highways, we need them. Okay, that's it for my two cents. Now on to the interview with Steve. I'm delighted to uh, have a guest who I've known for probably 10 years now. Steve Milishev is the founder and operator and owner of Motorino Electric Cycles, 
scooters, and motorcycles. Welcome, Steve. Thank you. So Steve has been in business for 17 years here in Vancouver. He most definitely is a pioneer in this space of uh, electrified personal mobility. So he has a lot of um, background to draw on. When he started, it was a very nascent industry, pretty hard to find an electric bike. Today, they're more common almost than pedal bikes. I know in France, they've outsold pedal bikes. So, so tell me, Steve, just out of curiosity, what's the first ever EV cycle you drove or rode for that matter? Well, it's, uh, I was working on, uh, in uh, China uh, for a project uh, financed uh, by Canadian uh, government institution and uh, environmental project because uh, my background is mechanical engineering and environmental field. And this was the first time I saw electric bikes and electric scooters in 1999 in China. And, uh, of course, uh, they didn't look very nice, but I was fascinated by the idea um, and I saw a lot of potential with uh, with this kind of transportation because it's uh, it's very practical. Um, it uh, it not only it's environmental but it reduces the congestion because it's uh, they're small and uh, and they're very practical for uh, daily commuting. Four years later, you set up Motorino, so not a long time from first riding one to actually bringing these things to Vancouver. Yeah, that's correct. I registered a company in uh, 2002, and uh, 2003, our first container from uh, from China arrived. So tell me about those first bikes. Oh, it was a terrible experience. <laughs> I don't want to remember that because uh, it was uh, probably from one container we saw probably, I would say, 5 to 10%. Everything went to, you know, recycling. What were the issues with those bikes? Well, the quality was terrible. They were designed for the domestic market, but uh, that's not the reason. They were probably this industry. They didn't have at that time that much experience, although they they, they were very popular in uh, in Asia at that time. Those were nickel cadmium batteries, is that right? Well, it was lead acid. Lead uh, acid. The first, wow. the first batteries were lead acid. Wow. Uh, then the second stage, they went to nickel metal hydride batteries, right. but uh, very sporadically. But a uh, long time they had a lead acid. Uh, I actually still have a lead acid uh, battery with a scooter type electric bikes. Uh, but I strongly believe that will be the last year uh, I have a lead acid. So everything will be lithium uh, next year. So when did lithium ion come to you in the form of those bikes? Lithium ion uh, came uh, after the after the first electric cars started coming. Uh, it's uh, the first one was a, a Tesla Roadster. And that actually broke the perception of the people that it's uh, electric uh, transportation is nothing exotic or it's not designed for uh, mobility impaired people. And uh, and then uh, we we saw the light of the tunnel at that time. Right. Due to the the size of the lithium ion, I mean, was that a big part of it? The weight of them, obviously, when you're on a on a two wheeler, weight is super important. Well, the thing is that lithium battery they they didn't just came on the market their quality was poor at the beginning you know it's we were lucky that uh, we didn't have like a fire or something like that from the first generation of lithium batteries because it's many many companies and there was like uh, if, uh, if somebody goes in youtube they can find probably uh, a lot of uh, incidents uh, like that but uh, the quality was good because they were uh, was was bad sorry uh, because they were not very reliable at that time it, 
they didn't last the time that they were supposed to, and uh, and they just the light way yeah. didn't justify the price because they were also crazy expensive at that time. So that's certainly not the case today in 2019. No, no, it's uh, and it's it's very exciting uh, uh, time because it's uh, both factors, the price and the quality are going in the opposite directions. The price are going down, the quality is going up. Yeah, and that's uh, that's very beneficial for for the end customers and for the industry like like ours. So as I said at the beginning, you sell electric bicycles, you sell electric scooters, and electric motorcycles. Kind of tell me how that's evolved for your business. In the beginning, it was just bicycles. Yes, it was uh, bicycles, uh, and I still remember our first bicycle, which was with a lead-acid battery attached to the trunk, uh, to the uh, to the carrier, and it was so heavy that when it, when, when it turned, the whole bike can uh, drop you down on the ground. You know, it was, uh, it was crazy disbalanced. And... Uh, we uh, actually uh, uh, quit the bike for a while and, until a uh, new battery came, and we concentrated mostly on uh, scooter-type bikes, which are uh, kind of uh, uh, look like a Vespa. Uh, but they were, at that time, with these batteries, uh, they were more practical because the batteries were actually uh, contributing for a low center of gravity, so they were very stable. And uh, here in Canada, we had uh, regulations that uh, anything that goes 32 kilometers an hour and have pedals is classified as bicycle. Right. And, so, uh, so you wouldn't yeah. need insurance or a driver's license That's for that. That's correct. That's correct. Yeah. So we were doing for probably the last uh, four or five years uh, this kind of electric scooters until the lithium batteries came and until the, the quality improved. And then we started selling electric bikes again. Right. And electric scooters. Yeah. What about electric motorcycles? The electric motorcycles came later because it's uh, it was redundant to put uh, a huge lead-acid batteries in electric motorcycle. It defeats the purpose. Uh, too heavy. Too heavy. Uh, it makes it sluggish because motorcycles, of course, they uh, require a lot of capacity, a lot of power. And uh, it was not uh, not a good idea to use uh, lead-acid batteries. Uh, and uh, lithium batteries, uh, the quality was not good. The price was were expensive. And uh, for that reason, uh, the motorcycles came uh, relatively later, I would say probably the last uh, three, four years. And that's the main reason why uh, a lot of motorcycle factories came so late on the market. Uh, I mean, uh, the big uh, companies, the big brands, because uh, they were afraid that the bad quality lithium-ion battery will compromise their brand. Mm. So they they came late, and uh, even some uh, some motorcycle companies they still uh, they still not in the market with with electric. Right. I mean, Harley Davidson in the last couple of months has released their Livewire, which is a bit of a halo project for them. Expensive bike, but you're right; they are getting into that space. Yes, yes. Uh, well, I'm I'm glad that uh, I kind of concentrate on the urban uh, electric uh, motorcycles uh, that are going up to 70 kilometers an hour. And uh, from one hand, uh, they don't require a special motorcycle driver's license. On the other hand, uh, uh, they're light and uh, uh, they're very uh, agile and it's uh, people love them for, for commuting. So who would be your customers? First of all, let's say you do have your, your main stores in Vancouver, but you have dealerships across the country. Yes, we do. Uh, 
Well, our customers are uh, mostly commuters because um, here in BC we have lots of incentives uh, for uh, electric uh, motorcycles. And uh, the biggest one is the government rebate for 35%. Right. Uh, we are blessed that we are in this province that uh, we have like that uh, big rebate. And that certainly uh, makes a big difference. But uh, the motorcycles that we sell are like uh, very high end. And uh, I would say that uh, the uh, rebate is not the only uh, factor that they're selling so fast. That uh, We have dealers in Quebec and they sell not uh, not bad there. It's uh, They sell quite a lot of motorcycles and, and their rebate is like only $500. That's, that's yeah. nothing. The scooter culture in Montreal seems very strong. Yes, yes, the scooter culture, yeah, they're like uh, more uh, open, I would say. It's uh, in BC, <laughs> we're <laughs> we're more conservative here in BC. So they, uh, so after I brought this uh, uh, motorcycles, I announced them. It's uh, We have a lot of uh, dealers there that uh, they express interest to sell them, and uh, they sell pretty well. And then the bicycles, who's buying an EV bike? Who's your kind of typical customer walks uh, in your store? It's a very, very funny story with, with the bicycles. If you allow me to, to go retrospectively with, with, with electric bicycles, uh, because, uh, when we opened this business, it's, uh, uh the perception was uh, one detrimental factor of the sales of the bicycles because it's, uh, many people were saying, Oh, this is cheating. These bicycles are ridiculous. This is, uh, this is for lazy people. This, <laughs> this is crazy. And then, um, gradually people in Europe, started actually embracing the, 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 the bicycles. And, of course, uh, everything uh, came from Netherlands. It's, uh, you know, that's uh, that's the country of the bicycle culture. And uh, eventually, uh, bicycles became in Europe so much popular. EV bicycles. EV bicycles, yeah. yeah EV bicycles. Uh, that in 2012, 13, 14, they, the sales of electric bicycles surpassed the, the sales of a regular bike. Why, why do you think that is? Because uh, the the perception of that these bikes are for lazy people fall apart. Right. So, so uh, what do people need, though, in the electric assist? I mean, why not just ride a bike? We've been riding bikes for 100 years without electric motors, but why do we need them now? Well, first of all, uh, the electric bikes at that time, uh, uh, the quality became uh, really uh, much better, and, uh, and and they became much lighter, which was the, which was a factor of people embracing uh, electric bikes. And uh, second, uh, people realized that uh, you don't really need to, uh, you have an option. You don't need to you don't need to use the motor all the time. And, right. Uh, uh, but uh, you you have something you use it when you need it. With with electric motor, you can basically exercise the same effort of comfort that you can exercise with a regular bike, no matter of the hill, no matter of the terrain. Uh, so people could go the same speed on a, even steep hills that they can go on flat, and they still can uh, use the same effort without getting sweaty. Right. Sweaty. So they, they 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 just use the same the same amount of energy on hills. Like on flats, right. so that, that that's in my opinion that is healthy because you don't put your body under pressure. You just uh, you know when you're exercising, you put your pulse to be at the same level, and this is actually what electric bikes helps. It's, right, uh, you can you can adjust uh, now the new bikes. They can, uh, they can be, they have a computer system with a power assist, and they can be adjust no matter of the hill. 
you always exercise the same level. And when you get on flat, the motor just stops and you, you still you still have the same effort. I live on Vancouver's North Shore, which is extremely hilly. And anecdotally, I can tell you lots of my neighbors who never rode bikes before are suddenly out and about on electric bikes because for that very reason, they can actually, you know, ride a bike across the North Shore or down to the waterfront without having to worry about grinding back up or walking it or putting on a bus. So it seems it has opened up riding a bike to people who would otherwise not ride bikes. It's kind of funny because, the, like I said, uh, the first perception of the people were that uh, these bikes are either for uh, very old or people that uh, cannot pedal. And, uh, and they were coming to our shop and they were saying, oh, this is a great idea. When I get older, I'll come and buy one. <laughs> and I, I don't know if your neighbors are, what, what is the age of your neighbors? But <laughs> in Europe, actually, when, they, uh, when the sales increase... Uh, the young generation was actually the driving market force for, for the electric bicycles. And then uh, the people over 50, over 60, they said, hey, well, that maybe, maybe it's not, <laughs> I wouldn't, it wouldn't look funny when I'm riding an electric bike because so many young people are riding them now. And, uh, and then they started selling. So is there some satisfaction for you in that? Because I know when you started in 2003, the, the traditional bike shops in town here were just looking at you like an aberration. Like, what are you selling? Um, we'll never do that. And today they all sell electric bikes. Yes. So does that give you satisfaction that you kind of had a sense that this was the future? Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, not even not even at the beginning. It was, uh, it was until 2015, 16, uh, after they started uh, taking off in Europe, I was still going and uh, and asking uh, uh, regular bike shops if they want to sell uh, electric bikes, and they said, "No, no, we don't touch electric bikes," you know. And uh, and after uh, so uh, big companies uh, like uh, Bosch, Shimano, Trek, uh, Specialized, they entered the electric bike business. Then bike shops said, "Hey, it's uh, maybe it's time to uh, to start selling them." And uh, first electric bikes, even with the big companies, they were not that sophisticated. Uh, and uh, after they started bringing the first brand name bikes, I brought my bikes and I said, "Try these bikes." They said, "Oh, we have already bikes." I said, "Just try them." And then they were saying, "How come your bikes are more powerful and they're they're quieter?" And I said, well, because this company, they just started making electric bikes. We will be making them for 10 years. Right. And uh, But uh, what happened is uh, it's uh, big names are big names. Uh, it's, it's not very easy uh, to break the ground with a name that nobody knows, especially uh, I, we made a mistake that we concentrated mostly on the technology, on the performance of the bikes, while other companies concentrated on the marketing. And they went ahead of us with, I would say, with, with inferior products. Right. Uh, big names, though, they have really good bikes now. And uh, it's, it's very hard to compete uh, with, with the quality with the big names. Uh, it's the only way to compete is with the price. But uh, I don't think uh, competing uh, with the price is, is, a, is a good idea. Today's EV podcast is sponsored by Motorino Electric Scooters, Electric Motorcycles, and Electric Bicycles. Drop by the Vancouver store on West 2nd and test drive the Super Soco TC EV Motorcycle, a bike that is the most popular electric motorcycle in Europe. 
What is distinctive about the Super Soco TC model is it incorporates a blend between the beautiful classic design and the latest technology innovations relating to the battery, motor, and controller. Combined with a well-engineered body, the TC is the perfect piece of urban transportation that brings a smile on your face the moment you twist the throttle. You can see it in the Motorino showroom or check it out at motorino.ca. On the subject of that kind of technology that you've done, just a few days ago, Motorino signed a licensing agreement with Xro Technologies that will use their electronic transmission replacement technology in your bikes. Yes. So what's that all about? Yes. Uh, well, I, I would say it's uh, 2008, actually, uh, we introduced on the market uh, continuous current transmission. So what, is that, what does that mean? That's, uh, this, is, uh, this, is, this was actually the concept of uh, utilizing the same current, but prioritizing in the circumstances uh, 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 the torque or the speed, depending on the road conditions. Uh, uh, so we integrated this uh, system in, in the controllers, and uh, two, three years later, we introduced the FOC, field-oriented controllers, or, or some people call them sine wave controllers, and we integrated this system in the controllers. Uh, extra technology actually evolved this kind of a concept. Now they work with uh, with uh, many uh, motors, motors manufacturers. Uh, they have like uh, they have developed like uh, hardware hardware and a software for uh, uh, transmission replacement and uh, they can improve the performance of uh, the motors uh, without increasing the, the battery consumption. So, so from a rider's perspective, what does that mean? What would be the difference of jumping on one of those bikes now? From a rider's perspective is uh, that uh, they can have like a longer range and at the same time, when they prioritize the torque or the speed, they can uh, they can achieve a better torque or the higher speeds when they're on flat. So it, does that self-adjust? They don't have to push a button or anything to tell you I'm on a hill? The, the transmission just knows where they are because there's more tension or something to go up a hill? Yeah, well, as far as I know, they have like a, they have two options. Uh, they can do this when self-adjusting, uh, or they can do with the press of a button because it's uh, uh, people have their own priorities uh, sometimes, and they want uh, to be in control of that. Right. So you're approaching a hill, and you press the button, and suddenly you've got power to climb a hill. Exactly. Power right. on a plank, climb a hill, and uh, uh, in many cases, it's uh, not in many cases, but uh, the consumption of the battery is less than if they don't have that system. Right. Because this system uh, adjusts uh, the uh, the duty cycle of the motor into uh, into um, torque mode, and uh, and it utilizes the power of the battery more efficiently. Okay. So. You're a guy that is always, every time I see you, you've got something else going on. You know, I could spend hours in your shop because you're taking me around mm -hmm. and showing me things. What What's new for Motorino? There are a couple of things that you're working on that are kind of outside the box of EV cycles. I mentioned before that it's uh, I feel in a in a kit in a candy shop, you know, because there are like so many opportunities. This industry is evolving so fast uh, in the EV uh, EV technology. EV technology, right. yes. I'm I'm not targeting electric cars. <laughs> 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 I'm, uh, this uh, this uh, I have no ambitions with that. But uh, now we have like uh, after this uh, urban uh, motorcycles, uh, we brought uh, a dirt road bike. So like a like a dirt bike, uh, like a dirt bike, yeah, dirt bike, and uh, and it's it's amazing. People can uh, can see online about the Suron bike, 
that is competing with uh, uh, gas motorcycles, like uh, even 10 times more horsepower than, than this electric. And this this bicycle, I, I would say dirt bike, is only 6 kilowatt. And as far as I know, the company, they, they developed now 20 kilowatt, which is like uh, three times uh, bigger. At the end of this month, we are expecting our first ATV. So we will be entering more like a uh, recreational yep. uh, market uh, with a dirt bike, ATVs. And uh, uh, last year, we did our first prototype of electric snowmobile. Uh, it didn't go very well, but that's, that's where the prototypes are for. Uh, we'll be continuing working with, uh, with, uh, in this direction. There's also the, the big one that I remember, though, is the boat. The boat motor. Yes, yes, it's <laughs> yes, it's uh, that's that's the thing that uh, sometimes uh, I want to embrace everything, but uh, you know we have uh, in uh, um, I should say I'm from Bulgaria and, and uh, our in our uh, we have like a uh, uh, we have like a saying, you cannot carry two watermelon in one hand, you know, and uh, <laughs> and now it's. Uh, the, the 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 boat i have a concept uh, for electric boat uh, and it's uh, it's pretty advantageous but uh, i don't even have a time to 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 develop this but i'm just waiting now the the season to start slowing down and we're going to work this one in the winter excellent steve well thank you very much for coming in thank you andrew hope you enjoyed my talk today with steve a guy who is one part businessman, one part mad scientist, and one part environmentalist. I've spoken on this podcast about the EV revolution, and while most of that surrounds the automobile, the role EV bicycles, scooters, and small motorcycles play cannot be overlooked or underestimated. It's all part and parcel of sustainable personal mobility. I live on Vancouver's North Shore, which is essentially a mountain slope running from the Burrard Inlet to the top of a mountain range. As such, riding a bike is best suited to triathletes and the Uber fit. But over the course of the last few years, I've seen more and more people riding bikes on the North Shore, many of them baby boomers. The reason? EV assist bicycles. Most, if not all of them, wouldn't be riding a bike if not for this electric helper. So that in itself is a testimony to the value of this technology. Steve has played a pioneering role in this, and for that he should be commended. That's it for this episode. Thanks to my guest, Steve Milishev, producer extraordinaire Dar Makwana, and you for joining me on another electrifying journey down the EV highway. Always welcome your comments and criticisms via email at pluggedinpostmedia.com. That's pluggedinpostmedia.com. For your daily dose of automotive news, views, and reviews, be sure to check out driving.ca. And subscribe to Plugged In wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. <laughs>